Hey, welcome back to the Comics and More show, uh, where we are recording live-ish from Comics and More, 28059 John R. Road, Madison Heights, Michigan. I'm the Chris Brown. I don't know what I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, confusion. so before my computer decided to just start doing an update right before we were about to hit record, uh, David was talking about the, the comparisons of the, the Spider-Mans and how they throw it in. Oh, this one's way better than that one, so... We're gonna we're gonna nerf the other one into the ground. It's it's well the whole Superior Spider-Man thing. Well, right? it's, and, it's it's but it's not. But P- Superior Spider-Man is the easiest example to use. But it's been done before Superior Spider-Man even happened. Like uh, Batman got it when they switched him over to armored suit, more edgy Edge Lord Batman, who lasted all of what twelve issues before Batman came and said, "Nah, dog, I'm gonna need that back." Um, Superman got replaced with four other Supermans. Is Minzes? Minzes? Minzies? Minzes? Supermanses? Superminzes? I'm getting stuck on semantics. But no, there was a period in the 90s where all the heroes were getting replaced by newer, edgier versions of themselves. Thor didn't put a shirt back on until 2003. He was shirtless for a really long time. Wonder Woman got turned into a redhead lady, and Wonder Woman started running around wearing a leather jacket. Um, who else got replaced? Green Lantern murdered every member of the Green Lantern Corps and was replaced by basically Kenny. <laughs> just some dude coming out of a bar. Just some dude, like, some dude just ran. He randomly walked out of a bar. <laughs> and, and the Guardian was like, like oh, yo, sure. dog, take this ring. Use the only Green Lantern now. You have an instruction book? Nah, watch The Greatest American Hero. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, so it's not a new thing that a superhero gets replace shoot spider-man was replaced by ben riley already once this has already happened spider-man got replaced well, by three separate sp- spider-man to be fair spider-man the initial premise wasn't that spider-man was replaced by ben riley but that entirely was the case entirely a possibility of the case was that spider-man had actually replaced spider-man because he was in fact the clone, the clone and ben riley was the real peter parker so there was kind of a, well, who was, and well, maybe I'll just back out. And then, of course, they were like, this has gone on too long. This is stupid. Peter Parker's Peter Parker, and Ben Riley's going somewhere else. And then, no, no, Ben Riley didn't go anywhere else. You know where he went? He melted into a pile of goo, which is where he should have stayed. Well, fair enough. But he was a Thanks, good Norman. character at the time. And then they bring him back, and they do all this dumb crap. And I guess he's going to be Spider-Man now because they bought all of the Doc Ock goods. Yeah, they bought, they bought the rest of Parker Industries because... Remember that one time when Dan Slott was like, nah, dude, Spider-Man's like Iron Man. No. Yeah, well, no, yeah, he made him uh, rich, famous. He was oh, yeah. He was Spider-Man Jr. And so, he was Iron Man Jr. So I understand what Dan Slott was trying to do. He was trying to evolve the character of Spider-Man, but really all he did was turn him into another character that already exists. Right. He then essentially also craps all over Spider-Man by somehow saying Doc Ock would be a better Spider-Man than Peter, and Doc Ock kills a man while in Peter Parker's body. There are things that have happened in Spider-Man continuity that we always try to ignore, like there's the clone stuff, there's the fact that Mary Jane literally had a baby and they Robbie Robertson just handed her to the Scryers. The oh no, you didn't you didn't look at 74 yet? No. She's in there. The baby? Meg, you have no... Look, seriously? So they are bringing some of this back. But you, but one of the things that I think they should certainly ignore is that Peter Parker killed a guy. Before we go any further, I need to take a minute and pause and tell you, you have to look at 74. You have... 74 hand waves the following... It does the... Norman did it hand wave to the following stories. Sins of the Past, The Clone Saga, One More Day, a bunch of stuff gets hand waved. Like, they explain One More Day is... Oh, no, man, I was worried that Peter's kids was going to, like, you know, stop hell from coming to Earth. So I, I made the deal. Ah. Or something to that effect. I don't know, man. There was a lot of pages in that book. But it hand waves. All of the terrible Spider-Man stories get hand waved in that. All of them, except for Clone. Nope, Clone Saga too. That gets hand waved. But it can't if Ben Riley exists. Hand wave. Norman did it. Ben, ben Riley's already been hand waved once because Norman did it. Remember, Norman did it. Spider Man seventy five when they when they fight and, the Green and, Goblin. And Norman did and, it, and that's the the real problem is that you've got these writers coming in who aren't working in the service of Spider Man; they're working in the service of their own nonsense. This is true, and Are that we, doesn't end up making a good story. And I feel like Spider Man hasn't been really for me; it hasn't been good and fun in a decade. 
Now I will. I don't want to do my usual yo Nick Spencer is awful rant, which usually happens. But his Spider Man wasn't bad when it first started. It was pretty good. It was pretty good up until what that Craven the Hunter thing that is where most people checked out. And then um, this Kindred storyline has just been... Isn't that when, like, Otley left? No, Otley, if you must know, I honestly think Otley was never supposed to stay on the book that long anyway. Because he was just... Mar it's just something I, about I, the way... I understand why they always crap all over Spider-Man. Why? Apparently the editor is currently Nick Lowe. And he's leaning too far into the you gotta be cruel to be kind. Well, if you want to hear more nonsense like this, tune in. <laughs> but no, so the thing is, Marvel is on this kick now that's very similar to when the New Fifty Two, when Flashpoint and New Fifty Two happened. Everything was not. I'm not talking about sales. I am merely talking about as far as stories and continuity. Everything was just fine until Flashpoint happened. But because somebody who worked there thought it would be cool to bring back most of the Silver Age guys, a lot of people got hand-waved away. Like, I don't know who got it the worst. Who would you say got it the worst after Wally? New 52? Oh, yeah. Wally didn't even exist. Wally and Kyle did not exist. No, wait. Kyle, Kyle was existed, there. but Wally did not. But Kyle kept getting executed in every book he showed up in. Okay. Because remember that one... The, one, the Omega Man book where the first thing they did was execute Kyle? Well, the weird thing is they've now done so many... Because they they built a great character in Wally and they did so much with him and then they just wrote him out. They're, we're bringing Barry back. We're doing this. Oh, no, we want it to be Bart. We're going to do this. No version of Wally is that version of Wally anymore or ever again. Like, I, I don't even know that I can relate to any version of that character because it's not that version of that character. Would you agree with the long-standing rumor that Dan Dido just hated Wally and Kyle and that's why he deleted both of them from existence? I mean, that's what I'd heard. Like, that's, yeah, I've heard, I've heard yeah. that for a very long time. That that's why they all... Because Wally... Wally is... Uh, okay, not to... Let's not do this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Flash. He'd been around Wa a long Wally time. Was, a, was a more interesting Flash than Barry ever was. Barry yes. didn't start to get interesting until the days leading into his death. A death that has been retconned so many times that I don't even think it counts anymore. I think the only death that actually still stands from for Crisis on Infinite Earths is original Supergirl's death. Maybe? S original Carl Zorro, not the new one that popped up in Batman Superman. Like, original. Right. Never been brought back, never got retconned out of existence. That death should still, that death never got hand waved away. Neither did, well, Wonder Woman's death got hand-waved away. Good Lord, I forgot Wonder Woman died at the end of that. Did she? Remember when when um, Anti-Monitor is, like, zapping people? He hits Wonder Woman, she turns into clay and thuds back on Earth. Okay. And then that's when George Perez does the, the reboot that doesn't get as much credit as it deserves. Okay. Even though it wasn't that good, but that was more editorial nonsense than Sure. Him. It looked good. Yeah. His art, his man, his art. I was talking to someone. I was talking to Joe earlier about like interiors versus covers, and how covers seem to matter more than interiors nowadays, and how awful that is. But that's a completely different topic. So the problem is, like you said, these stories have been going on for too long, and you can't. The guys have to stay the same age because we're selling that guy at that age. It's the only way we're going to sell him to you. Nobody wants to read about. An old Peter Parker who has to go to parent-teacher conference. I want to read about free will and single Peter Parker who can't get a date. But, oh, man, he did get a date. But, oh, man, the Kingpin's robbing something. You know, that's the Peter Parker. They want him to be timeless. They want all of these characters to be timeless. But at the same time, they want to continue to advance their story. And a lot of times, the guys get lazy. Not lazy. The editors don't want to spend the time... To build that world. So they just go, nah, and hand wave it away. Just start over clean. Who cares? Brand New Day is the most notorious example of that. Because everybody was like, nah, I don't think... A lot of people at Marvel... Joe Quesada! Quesada! Quesadilla! Quesadilla. Quesadilla was like, I don't think Peter should be married. So instead of like, I don't know, killing Mary Jane or something like that. They just hand wave the marriage away with the most stupid thing ever. 
Yo, she made a deal with the devil. Even though they had literally, like, maybe a year or two before that, made J. Michael Straczynski bring her back. They had and he, killed her. And even, and even, oh, and not only that, they made the deal so Aunt May could live again. Even though Aunt May had died at least twice before one more day happened. She died in Spider-Man. it wasn't Aunt May anyway. In Spider-Man 400, she died. But it wasn't her. It was a life model decoy or whatever. <laughs> then she died again. Did she die? I don't know if she was dead. Remember Black and Black when he puts on the black suit because, err, I'm edgy now? It was after Civil War. After Civil but War. I thought all that was the leading up to Brand New Day stuff. It, it was. That was a part of it. But Aunt May got shot. Right. And she was dead. Like, she got shot with a Punisher gun. She was dead. And Peter was like, mmm, stay with my hot redhead wife or bring back my wheat cakes. God, I love them wheat cakes. Love them wheat cakes. And I need Harry to be back alive again. You can't see it, but I just rolled my eyes. Because Harry's dead again. But... So they constantly reboot this stuff, and it never, none of it really matters. It seems like the only stuff that still matters is the Bronze Age and the Silver Age stuff that, at least as far as Marvel goes, Bronze Age? Would you say Bronze Age still counts for Marvel? I would say a like, lot of it does. Like Claremont's X-Men, yeah. uh, Kirby's Fantastic Four, Lee and Dicko's Spider-Man, like, the stuff that really matters, which is another conversation that we were having before the mic turned on when we were talking about whose artwork still matters, like why are certain guys more hot than others, So right? I had asked the question, essentially, why is it... We were talking about Spawn, and I said it was kind of shocking to me that that book easily gets 40 50 bucks, no problem, and people will pay it, and they don't even feel bad about it. And I have so many copies of that book floating around here. It's insane <laughs> to me. That print run is so high, and everybody saved it when you're like, well, how many of them you know, are dog crap copies? Okay. So, yes, there were some kids that, that had that book. I was 16 when that book came out. I knew how to take care of comics. I took care of my comics. Um, you know, my copies were fine. I, so many adults were buying those books then. How are they worth anything? And you said, well, you know, people love McFarlane and, you know, that you could sell that Amazing Spider-Man 300 all day. That thing's never coming down or whatever. And I said, well, yeah. So, he has something that has left a mark, an indelible mark on our culture and on comics and whatever. And, you know, Jim Lee did with, with X-Men, Rob Liefeld has with, um, X-Force. you know, uh, well, I was thinking more specifically the new Deadpool. Mutants. Oh yeah. 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 New Mutants 87, 98. He creates cable. He creates Deadpool. So it much changes, of it what the X-Men becomes, it changes the game. But Liefeld can't put anything out right now that sells at all. If he puts a new Youngblood out, no one cares. Jim Lee. The only reason anyone bought any of the Wildstorm stuff when it got to DC is like, oh, it was Wildstorm, it's Jim Lee, okay, whatever. Ultimately, DC only bought Wildstorm because they wanted Jim Lee. And he did that X-Men stuff, and that stuff that kind of left a mark. Some of those original covers of X-Men that he did, like, yeah, that Captain America cover that we were talking about with what Black Widow and Wolverine. Yeah. Like, some of those iconic covers. He's got that. Okay. But what really... What really has Jim Lee done that equates to Amazing Spider-Man 300 or New Mutants 98 or New Mutants 87? And before you guys run and say hush, hush. No. Hush hush was lightning you, in a bottle. You hush, child. And even lightning in a bottle, that story is crap and no one cares. And that first appearance of Hush does not carry the weight of the first appearance of Venom or the first appearance of Cable or Deadpool. Was Hush really we should reread that one day. And by reread that, I mean I'll reread it and you can complain about it in real time. Is the, <laughs> is, is, is the villain who he's supposed to be? Is it his friend Tommy? Is it this? We don't know. Oh, the big reveal is that this whole thing's manipul been manipulated by uh, the Riddler. Okay? So my friend Chris Smith literally looked at me when that happened and he just kept going, but it was the Riddler. I was like, you can keep saying, but it was the Riddler. And it literally doesn't make it cooler. It does not matter. And on top of that, Hush isn't even a cool villain. He's a guy in bandages. He's the Spanish dude from Time Crimes at this point. Like, <laughs> what, what does that matter? So it was a terrible story. It didn't matter. The villain didn't look cool. Jim Lee's art's fine. Jim Lee drew Batman. Cool. Then when Jim Lee drew Superman, and uh, who was it? Was Brian it Mark? Out. No, that was Brian out. That was Brian uh, Azzarello. Oh, Brian Azzarello. And it's trash. Like, it's it not a good Superman story. It is one of the most confusing Superman stories I've ever read. It's terrible. The and I've art, read it more than once. The art looks good, and Jim Lee's a very good artist, but Jim Lee has not created anything iconic. You know what Jim Lee is iconic for? 
the I can only do six issues before I check out. Well, that's just kind of mocking. If, but like, no, if you literally, this is not a mock. This is not me knocking on him. If you look at anything where Jim Lee has had to do twelve consecutive issues, the first six are always some of the most gorgeous artwork he has ever produced. But then, if you look at the next six after that, he checks out. Okay. Because he is. It is not up to the same quality. You can look at the back six. And he of, seems seemingly can't even do a complete book. Right. Anymore. The back the back six well, McFarlane doesn't either. The back six of that Superman run are sketchy at best. Now I know what you're saying. Oh, well, that's because that wasn't his own creation. It was wasn't something that he was working on. You know a book that he was working on, and I always bring this up when I bring up a Jim Lee argument. Do you remember Divine Right? Do you remember yeah. that book? Jim Lee drew all of that. Yikes. The first the first four are some of the best artwork I've ever seen that man produce. It was the books, the layouts, just everything. It was peak Jim Lee almost. And you can say he's been at his peak for a while, but it's only for four issues. And then the back eight issues, man, he could have just got somebody else to do it. But he doesn't even do full books anymore. I mean, I don't think he can handle the schedule of it. And... Yes, Jim Lee himself is iconic, and, and the things he's done, he's done some great stuff. Some stuff that looks good, fun, sure, whatever, but ultimately when you look at his overall body of work, he hasn't created anything to the level of so does, Amazing Spider-Man 300. Because it, it doesn't hold its weight. And that, and that to circle to connect it, before we get too far off on the tangent, let's connect it. So a lot of these stories now, they don't feel as important or as memorable as some of the runs from that have established the characters. Like Venom. Venom still stands. It's been like, what, almost more than 30 of this? How long has Venom been around? 25, 30 years. Yeah, later. and people still talk about him. Does anybody remember Maggot from the X-Men? Does anybody remember Shatterstar? Does anybody remember, oh, who was else another random guy that was supposed to be the next big thing, but nobody cared about him? Adam it, X Extreme. Yeah, does anybody remember Kane? Does anybody remember Adam X? Adam X is actually great, though, and I have his first appearance. GW Bridge. GW... Ha! Good one. Um, heck, no, all really? Of them, heck, all, all of those all those guys that were created was it, in was X-Force. It, or was Bridge the Youngblood guy? No, Bridge is he the... He was the X-Force guy. He was the X-Force guy. He was the black X-Force yeah. guy that looked strangely similar to the Youngblood guy. Yeah. That had kind of the same name. They, they just... The only thing that Eric Larson ever did that mattered is Savage Dragon because he never stopped. So that's the it's only... literally the thing he's done since he was a kid. And, and, that's, but... and that's cool. But when you look at it again, you look at a guy it... like Eric Larson, nobody really cites... When his Spider-Man stuff came out, no one liked it. Um, it's okay. Like I, I, I think it looks kind of good. I like his art. It's fun. But he's a guy that's been in the industry for a long time that does great stuff. But again, is he really an icon? Nah. No. And most of the guys that left Marvel to go to Image aren't they just continue to work on their same crap like really mark Silvestri, no one cares about cyber force or anything related to it let it go nobody except david shark so anyway um okay um so what we were trying to talk about is who amongst those guys mattered from that original image group and again my big question being still how does why does anyone care about spawn like i just if you like the character, that's cool. That's not what I mean. But like being willing to pay fifty bucks for that first issue, I'll take your money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a chair. I'm not running a charity over here. I'm not going to give away a book just because I think it should be worthless. I'll take your forty, fifty bucks every time. But the question remains: How the hell did it get there? And who the hell's willing to pay it? I mean, I've seen them. I've seen their faces. On one hand, you could say it's because the kids that couldn't afford it now can't afford it. And well, and buy. I and I and like, I get like, that. Like, like, I like me, get that. Like, with, like with me, like I've said on here numerous times. But where does the forty dollar price come from when there are so many of them? Because we're just it's there's something about his art that still rings rings true with people. He doesn't but, even do the book anymore. I'm not I'm not talking about the book. I'm literally just talking about his art. Of course, his yes. art, his covers. Sure. Just like with J. Sky Campbell, name a book that J. Sky Campbell has done did a monthly for it in the last. Oh yeah, he 10 years. It. He yeah. has it. Because you know what he did? He figured out like, yo, I can't make any money drawing a book regularly. I can draw covers though. I can draw covers till my hands fall off. Right. And that's all he does now. So I will give him credit for that. I will give him credit for finding his little hole in the market and filling it 
with as many covers of Storm and Rogue that all kind of look the same, but they're still really cool. You know? Yeah. So with, with McFarlane... What happened to Joe Mattiera? He went into video games and it didn't work out and he faded away. Really? Battle Chasers was supposed to be the start of his video game universe. Yeah. Remember Cliffhanger was supposed to be yeah. the new image thing before... Yeah, it was supposed to be the new thing and no, none of those guys could draw a book monthly. What was the book? Who drew the... Was it the Kaboom? Um, the kid with the gloves. I liked that one. Who did that? Was that... That wasn't... Mark Wade, I feel like, wrote it. It wasn't... Um, no, not Pearson. What was the guy's name? Random, no. Because he drew body bags, too. The same guy that drew body Jason bags. Pearson? I want to say that's his name, but it doesn't sound remember, right. But I like that one, but... It doesn't, yeah, there it was, doesn't there sound was some, right. There was some of that stuff. Yeah, Joe Mattiera yeah. didn't amount to anything. It's going to bug me. Kenny, can you look up who drew body bags for me real quick? It's Jason Pearson. Yeah, I just don't... Pearson doesn't feel right. No, it is. I'm telling I know, you. I know. I know. I just Jason Pearson. I, I like don't know who did Kaboom though. I, I just want to. We guys. Kaboom was. I'm yeah, looking at the cover. It's Jason Pearson. Then who drew Kaboom? Kaboom was that other guy. The the guy that was it. Matt's Matsuda. Jeff Matsuda. I think that sounds right. That feels right. And then no, you know what it was. Jeff Lowe wrote it. Oh, you know what it wasn't Cliffhanger? It was Awesome Comics. Was, wasn't it Awesome? Oh, that's where Supreme and all of them went to. Uh, you know, Kenny's still looking. My phone is dying, so I turned it off. But, um, yeah, so where were we? My point about Eric Larson, then we'll circle back to characters. Yeah, been Jeff a Matsuda. Yeah, him. Because he was, that was another thing we were talking about, like how a lot of the art that we get now is technically all those image guys' fault. Like J. Sure. Scott and J. Scott Campbell is the grandfather of Yo Dog. Don't worry about interiors; just do a good cover. He's the grandfather. If he's the grandfather, or at least the son of that, like him, Silvestri, all of those guys—they're all responsible for that cover thing. But that's another thing we can complain about at another time. So the only reason why I say Eric Larson should get credit is because he made Savage Dragon, and he never let anybody else touch it. And the one time he did let somebody else touch it, it was Jim Lee. He went back and drew the yep. issue himself. He went back and redrew it himself. He's been the only one that has ever written on that book, and he's the only one that has ever drawn on that book. And that book is approaching; it'll get to three hundred at some point. But he's the only one. And I've been reading back through it. I'm on book eight of ten in the archives. Man, does that book take a turn? They fight a giant Osama bin Laden. Dude, Savage Dragon was weird. You, do, you know how they kill? You know how they beat Osama bin Laden? And I don't want to say beat. You know how they kill Osama bin Laden? No. So he's like a giant because he swam through some radioactive. His body floated in some radioactive stuff. He came back to life and grew to be like ninety feet tall or whatever, right? So Savage, so Savage Dragon's son, who has taken over at this point, is like, I don't know how we're supposed to beat uh, a ninety foot Osama bin Laden, and, and they go. Check his Wikipedia page to see if there's anything there we can use. They check his Wikipedia page, and they go, Oh, there's no Osama Bin Laden loves Whitney Houston? So, they have a helicopter fly out to the middle of the bay and start playing Whitney Houston songs, and when he gets out there, they shoot him in the face with a nuke. <laughs> That's actually a book? Dude, it's so stupid, it's great! Savage Dragon... It's amazingly dumb. It is a, it is, it is the comic book that fifteen-year-old David wishes he could have had published, because it's just Walt. It is unending nonsense. It makes no sense, but it makes sense. And to his credit, it's the, one of the only books out there where the characters all actually age in real time. So it's been like about twenty. It was like at that point in the book, it had been about twenty years. So Savage Dragon was like about 50 ish and he had his brain eaten so he was he was dead at that point for a while he was dead but then he came back it's fine now. And his son had taken over and his son was like 14 or 15 and he's running around the Savage Dragon with the what alternate is the superpowers. Savage Dragon superpowers Wolverine plus super strength minus claws. Okay. I know I know the look you're giving me. That sounds so stupid. No, I'm thinking about that time that uh, 
Peter David and Eric Larson were beefing. They got to a beef in the letter pages of Savage Dragon. Yeah, and then they started taking pot shots at each other in the comics. And my best, my, my favorite thing was uh, when the Hulk, like the whole Pantheon stuff was going on. And he and uh, Betty were like on the run. And she was trying to find a disguise for him. She goes, put this on. And he puts a fin on his head. And he goes, come on. People just say this. They'll look at me and just go, it's the Hulk with a fin on his head. <laughs> you know why that fight started? Do you know why the fight started? No. The real, the real reason why the fight started. When Eric Larson was doing his world-famous run on <laughs> on Spider-Man, objective Spider-Man, is that what they used to call it? They used to call it something goofy, but his run on Spider-Man, he did Revenge of the Sinister Six. In the Revenge of the Sinister Six story, the Hulk shows up to like help Spider-Man, and Doc Ock beats the Hulk half to death with his adamantium arms. He like, Hulk can't get any leverage. He's like, oh, I can't get any leverage. Bam, 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 bam. Doc Ock flings the Hulk out of a window and he flies like a thousand feet away or whatever. Later, Peter David is like, well, that's stupid. That wouldn't happen. So in the Hulk, Doc Ock is robbing a casino in Las Vegas or whatever. The Hulk rolls up and he's like, oh, Doc Ock, I guess we're going to do this dance again. You can't stop me this time because I'm ready for you. So Doc Ock tries the same trick. And Hulk just bats his arms away and he goes like, dude, you're just a middle-aged man with robot arms. And he grabs them, spins them around like a hundred times, throws them into a truck, Doc Ock's done. And then he goes like, and that's what really would happen when I fight Doc Ock. So then Peter <laughs> David sends in a letter to Savage Dragon going, you know, what you wrote was stupid and that's why I made fun of it, right? And Eric Larson's like, well, you know what you wrote is stupid and that's why, I'm, that's why I did it. And they just went back and forth. For months in the Savage Dragon letter pages. There was like page, there was like at least five pages of it. Yeah. To, and to the prop, another thing I give Eric Larson his credit for was that he continued to have letter pages up until it wasn't cool anymore. And his letter pages were almost as long as the book. It was, go grab any, if you can find one, go grab any early issues of Savage Dragon and flip to the letter pages. And I guarantee you, Peter David has a letter in there. And I guarantee you, Eric Larson responds to every single point that he makes in the letters. This shit went on for at least a year and a half. Now they like friends. No, no they're they're still they still hate, hate each, each other. other to this day. That's outstanding. He still goes like, man, <laughs> he can't write the Hulk. Sure, Spider-Man was acceptable, but his Hulk was trash. Eric Larson goes, eh. His Hulk and his Spider-Man are trash. <laughs> so. Ahem. That's hilarious. For the Marvel seems to be on a kick now where every book is about to get a hard reboot. Whether we like it or not. So. I wish that when they did these reboots, they didn't have to do it at the expense of saying, oh, look how cool this thing is compared to the old thing. Like how in Loki... How they had to go, oh, look how cool the time the time police are compared to the Infinity Stones. Look, we got these yeah. in a desk because that's how unimportant they are because our thing is better than this. Yeah, I didn't like that. That didn't sit well with me at all. It, we've, we've talked about this before on here. Like, it's If you want to prove that something is better than the thing that came before it, don't worry about the thing that came before it. Just do what you're going to do. If it's good, it'll all shake out. For example, when a when AEW showed not to go wrestling, but when AEW showed up, the first thing everybody said was, "Oh wow, WWE better look out! They got competition. There's no need for them to be competition. All they have to do is be their own thing. And if, if they get popular enough, they'll become competition once the public market deems it so." Why is it that in the I'm asking this question facetiously? When of why is it that when the Marvel Cinematic Universe happens? They essentially go from a, a cosmic cube and all of these things, the the Ivagamoto. They go with all of these things and then crack them open, and ultimately they are the Infinity Stones. Well, to answer your earlier question, because they had so many powerful objects, the movie was like, well, we're just going to make these powerful objects the same things and then move forward because it makes more sense to us. Because when they were actually writing these comics... Ivagamoto didn't have to be cooler than the Cosmic Cube. The Ivagamoto right. just had to do what it could do. Right, right. So they just did it. They didn't have to say it was cooler than. The Cosmic Cube just did what it did. All of these crazy powerful objects in the Marvel Universe, and there are a lot of them, 
just do their own thing. And you don't have to worry about if the Cosmic Cube is more powerful than the Infinity Gems or if this is that, because those stories aren't being told. We're telling this one. And we need to do more of that. Just tell the story you're doing. If you want to put this guy over, you don't have to put him over at the expense of the other guy. Just, just show that this person is awesome. By the end of the match, the guy who won should be look better for it, and the guy who lost shouldn't look like a pile of crap afterwards. Right. And which is and which is what a lot of the new school or the new generation of writers, that's all they seem to do. They seem to be obsessed with it. Like when they first get to the book, the first thing they do is crap on the thing that came before it. Yes. Do we think this has anything to do with like the 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 parasocial relationships that people have with with regular society now and like the um like the the disassociative like personality disorder type deal like where we got to crap on it because in everyday life all we do is compare compare everything to other stuff i think part of the comparing to other stuff and all of that is generally about ego we don't have, you know, the, the, a lot of the, the, the baby boomers and the older folks will go, remember when we had Walter Cronkite, he just stood in front of a desk, or sat in front of a desk and read the news. You know, now it's all talking heads and opinion pieces. Well, yeah, because now the, the newsmen and women are becoming the news. The, the guys who write these comics want to become the comics. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis has wrote himself in his Genki so he could date... Uh, he was Kong. Shadowcat. He was Kong. Or Kong, whatever. Um, so, like, there's so many of these writers that can't find a way to just tell a story. And I know we've talked about, in a similar fashion, maybe we talked about this in the podcast, maybe we didn't, but what, what's the what's the actor's name that did, like, Last of the Mohicans and... Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis is, I don't think, a very good actor. And the reason I don't think he's a very good actor is he can do what he does. He can't do comedy. But then you look at some of these character actors who are just in the background doing the work. Right. They don't have to be the star. They don't have to be any of that. They're doing the work. And they're and you might not even notice them. You might not know that actor's name. We need more of those character actors or just character writers in comic books. Because instead of having to be, oh, the next you know, who, big star, Donny Cates or whoever, how about just be a guy who writes comic books? And I feel like Peter David was a guy who wrote comic books for 10 years on The Hulk. He, he did what he did. He, he did he, great stories. He put his nose to the grindstone. And he and to his credit, he did not crap on anything. That, he took over a run where they didn't where they started to throw their hands up like, we don't know what to do to make the Hulk good. And Peter David took it and said, I'll write it, see what I can do with it. And it took him 10 years to tell his Hulk story. He didn't crap on the fact that, oh, well, why would the Hulk be gray in the first issue? He I've got an answer for that. He incorporated, he looked at everything that happened with the Hulk before and worked it into the character so it could be like, oh, no, I'm not saying none of this happened. I'm saying all of it did happen he, and it had an effect on the character. When you take improv classes, one of the first things you learn is one of the games you have to play is yes and. Mm -hmm. And so... One actor, performer, brings something to the table. You do not shit on what they do. You keep working it. Yeah, and and you add to it. And that's what I think a good writer can do in comic books is add to what's come before. And I don't feel like we have enough of those people right now because so many of them have to crap on what came before so that their story is more important. Right. And I don't like that at all. I mean, look at what... Um, who was it? It was before Andy Diggle. Um, in between Bendis' run on Daredevil and Andy Diggle killing it. Who, Brubaker. Brubaker. One of the most solid ass runs on Daredevil ever. Fight me if you want to. Come fight me so, if you want to. So, Brian Michael Bendis does this where he reveals his identity. And the world knows that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. And he says to, you know, uh, Brubaker, okay, well, I'm leaving the book or whatever. I can put that genie back in the bottle I can do, you know, whatever. He's like, well, what were you going to do? Well, I was going to essentially get him in prison. Well, do that. Get him in because, prison. Because that was the bit with I can Daredevil. Do that. That's the, that was the bit with Daredevil. Whoever got it, whoever was getting ready to leave, it was like an unspoken thing. Like, whoever was writing Daredevil, whenever they got to leave, they put Daredevil in the worst possible situation and told the next writer, good luck. But Bendis actually and Brubaker talked about it. They actually, Bendis was going to fix it. He was like, I'll, I'll, Make it so you have something to work with. And Brubaker said, no. Leave me what you're going to leave me, and I'll get him out. 
And he got him out in such a fantastic way that really showed what a great writer Brubaker was. He didn't have to crap on anything Bendis did. He brings the Punisher in. He brings Iron Fist in. He brings Dakota North in. He does some amazing things in that run because, of course, characters like Dakota North would step up to help him in the office. You know, Iron Fist is like, oh, shoot, you need a Daredevil running around? I'll do that. They, they make that work. That's fun. Punisher, like, and it was so great the way it was written. I'll never forget that moment. Dakota North has a confrontation with Daredevil, and she looks at him, and she's like, oh, I know who you are. I was just talking to you. And I remember reading this issue, and this was like 15 years ago now. And I remember going, oh, shit, it's Danny. And I flipped the page, and then his Daredevil's fist becomes like unto a thing of iron <laughs> and it was like oh my god that's fantastic um he oh my then, god, i get a chill even thinking you know you know when you get that good tingle yeah. I, I get that good every time somebody brings up Baker's run i get that good tingle dude, it was so good. I, the moment where punisher frank castle's walking down the street and he sees uh they're talking about matt murdoch going to jail and all this and frank just looks and goes matt what did you do he smashes the glass on this store and waits for the cops to arrest him. <laughs> That's the, awesome. He then goes to jail and he then walks up to Matt and goes, "All right, how are we getting you out of here?" That's awesome. Like, and, and, and even that, and even he works that in because, like, they made it so that the kingpin, Bullseye, the Punisher, are and all Daredevil in prison. Are at all that in time. the same prison, practically in the same cell block, and the warden's like. You know, at any minute, this is going to set off. I'm going on vacation. You guys figure it out. Well, no. So the warden was in there. Oh, yeah. The warden was in yeah. The warden is in there because what mm. happens is they're setting everything up essentially for a riot so that they can kill Daredevil. That's how this has all gone down. We're, we're getting it. So then, and obviously Punisher comes in to save him, a riot does pop off. And, of course, Matt Murdock then goes much like he does in the Defenders series where he's wearing the mask the whole time and like, dude, we know who you are. <laughs> so no, 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 he, no, no, no. So he goes in, he gets a mask, he puts it on, and he's now fucking people up as Daredevil. And uh, we're going to have to bleep that. Sorry about that. And so at one point, uh, he ends up saving the warden. The warden's life is in danger. He saves the warden. When the whole thing happens, the warden is like, this man should not be in prison. He is in danger. He's a blind man. I never saw this man do anything that led me to believe he's Daredevil. So we're going to part, part two where we saw Fo Foggy get shanked on tape. That's, right, that right. Oh, man, there's so much stuff that happened there. But but he worked with what he was given. He did not crap on what came before him. He wor he worked. I've just watched The Wire. I can't help but say he worked the case. Yeah, he just... Punisher getting himself arrested he, he is He did writer's work. Yeah. He just did writer's work, and he got it done. And he used who the characters are to get everybody to where they needed them to be. And then, you know, he left Andy Diggle with what he left Andy, and then Andy crapped the bed. And then he made Shadowland. <laughs> so stupid. You know who cleaned up Shadowland? Superior Spider-Man did. So stupid. <laughs> but no, is that probably your favorite thing that Punisher did? Oh, it was fantastic! Yeah, oh my god, I it it feels right because what you've seen some writers do is Frank Castle is a fan of the superheroes. Yeah, and there has been sort of this delineation where even Captain America is like, Nah, dude, you are not one of us, even though he admires him. And I like that moment though that because Frank is more street level and Matt is street level, and they've clearly worked together, whether you agree with what Frank does or not. I love that he's like, I got to get this guy out. And Frank goes to jail because he's like, dude, I can get out whenever I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can get out whenever I want. It's no big deal. Like, oh, um, that brings up another another funny punish. Well, not funny, but like another Punisher moment I like is during Civil War, Captain America's like beating the garbage out of the Punisher. Like, he's literally beating him from pillar to post. Like, he's grabbing him by his legs and going, wham, wham, wham. And he goes like, why won't you fight back? I thought you were the Punisher. And he goes like, I would never fight you, sir. I respect you too much. And salutes him. Yeah. The Frank Castle did that? Yeah. yeah. That's he awesome. Was, he literally said, dude, I would never throw a punch at Captain America. I just won't. I'll run Wolverine over with a steamroller. Yeah. <laughs> I will run him over with a steamroller. I will shoot him in the face with a shotgun and, then, and, and saw away. his legs off with a chainsaw. <laughs> but I will never punch Captain America. Because Wolverine would do all of that stuff to me if I gave him the chance to. But Captain America? Nah, dude, he's a hero. And you know what? He everyone, a war hero. everyone talks about everything that Wolverine can't have done, all the things he's done, and blah, blah. The things they've done to Frank Castle. <laughs> okay, let's let's go through them real quick. He got turned into a zombie. 
Got turned into. Well, that was like Frankenstein. He was he was Frankencastle. <laughs> Frankencastle. He was Frankencastle, but let's go earlier. Uh, he got turned into an angel. He was an angel of death for God. <laughs> oh, and you know what? When we're talking about hand waving. You know what? One of the best hand waving things ever was when Garth Ennis took over Punisher, and he was like, "I was an angel for a while." Told them where they could go stick it. They sent me back to Earth like it was punishment. That's where I wanted to go all along. Ha 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 ha! Moving on. <laughs> it's great. Garth Ennis is Punisher. It's great. The first 12 issues are great. Then the then next. It gets ridiculous. Then it, gets, it starts to get ridiculous. Confederacy of Dunces, however, is still one of the best stories ever. When, when after he has screwed over Spider Man and Daredevil and Wolverine, they're all like, yo, let's get back at this dude. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to just set the Hulk loose on you guys. Okay, that sound good? That sound good? Daredevil's the only one that says through the whole story. He's like, look, I'm, guys, I know we want to get even with him, but I'm telling you, he screwed up in the head, and he will do something very bad to all of us. And Wolverine's all like, Snicket, bub, let's go get him. <laughs> see I'm, the, I'm the best Snicket at what I bub. Yeah. You, see, now you see how we're smiling and we're laughing and we're talking about this? Ask me to smile and talk about something that's happened recently in comics. I have nothing for you, man. You know what? You know the the last thing that really made me smile in comics? What? That really just, I was like, that's comic books right there. And that is so those characters. Secret Invasion. The Skrulls are attacking Central Park. <laughs> and Peter Parker says, you know, I've been through a bunch of these. We really don't have to worry about anything until the Watcher shows up. You turn the page and the, wa- page and the Watcher is standing over Central Park. And Spider-Man says, oh, come on! <laughs> There's just see Dude. a bunch of these like referring to event like yeah, big event yeah because yeah. there's because mo- there's still moments earth shattering events yeah, yeah. Like, there's yeah. still but there was there was a time when earth shattering event meant an earth shattering event like we were talking about um I don't know if it was you but I was talking to somebody about Infinity Gauntlet one of your one of your white friends yeah one of my white friends. well no because we were all sitting here and I found if we were, we were going through boxes and I found Infinity Gauntlet four five four and five were in there. And I, I was just like, no, yeah, because the guy was back here. No, it, was, it wasn't. Yeah, he was back here. We were talking about it. Sean I was like, Yeah, I was like, I remember getting Infinity Gauntlet at Great Scott. I remember getting it off the rack. I didn't know there were such things as comic book stores back then. All I knew was when I go over to my grandma's house, she wanted to go to the supermarket. She wanted to go to Farmer Jack or Great Scott. I had a shot at getting a comic book. And we went and... There sitting there on the rack was Infinity Gauntlet 1. And there there was Thanos with the glove, and you saw all the heroes. And I was like, man, this shit looks serious. <laughs> and I knew who Thanos was in passing. I knew that his hook was, no matter how much he wanted to win, he would always do something stupid to leave the door open to lose. But in this book, the first thing they show you is like, got this big thing, and he's like, I'm God now. I wish somebody would step to me. And the whole issue builds and builds. And he's like, I'm going to kill half the universe. Is that all right with you? And I'm like, pardon? He snaps his fingers. And heroes disappear. They don't die. They disappear like they never existed. And it was the... It blew my mind. I'm like, did I just watch Cyclops die? Like, are the Avengers dead? Are they that bone? California's gone. Japan is gone. Nick Fury is like, oh crap, the Earth is floating away from the sun? Holy shit, what's happening? I need more of this. I never I didn't get issue two till years later. <laughs> but like that, that memory. You know what I mean? Like there's stuff that and again, like Spud said, it's just not for me any you know, like yeah. I've been aged out. I, I'll yep. admit it. I've I've been aged out. But there was there's a certain, also infinitely more titles than there were when we were kids. But there was a level of quality that came with these titles. You know what I mean? Like the art that you would see on the cover, nine times out of ten, is the guy that's going to actually be drawing the interiors. Now, sure. Now. But, you know, here's the real thing. Do you know why comics were so, so good then? Because I was growing up and everything was cool then. <laughs> that. But also, comics were not a multi-billion dollar industry with IP that's making guys like swim in the, the money bin like their Uncle Scrooge. You know, yeah. Doing the yeah. backstroke in quarters. Like, no one cared. No one was watching what comics were doing. Marvel owned Marvel. Marvel wasn't owned by a giant mouse. A giant, rich, Nazi-supporting mouse. They were not supported by that at all. They were doing their own thing. And so, that sort of thing, they could do whatever they wanted. It didn't matter. Like, you can wipe out half the Earth. You want to kill the Avengers in an issue? Do that. It kind of doesn't matter, because no one's really watching. 
course you're gonna bring yeah. it back because yeah. you need to tell another issue of the Avengers. Because issue but, four was another one that blew But my now mind these too. things are essentially beholden to their advertisers. They're beholden to the property that they can continue to make money from. That's right. why it is there's so much stuff. There's so many things. We've got a Darkhold book because they're gonna do something with the Darkhold book and one of the television properties they're doing. Yeah. And to go back on one thing, there was one thing I wanted to mention that that you said that I thought was really important about feeding the ego of the writer. You, have you noticed now that like whenever a writer takes over a book, they always get like a promotional video to explain why the book, now that they have the book, they're going to do all the things that they've always wanted to see in a comic book, i.e. the new, the failed New Warriors video. Well, or like what but, we got they, when Bendis probably, is coming to Superman. But, but, <laughs> but that's, that's probably not even the creator ego. Those videos are the same thing when the coach has to talk to the media after a football game. But, that That's a part of the marketing machine. But, but, yeah. when you, but when you listen to what they're saying, you know what I mean? Like, it's not... I get that, that that's a part of the business now. I get that. But and, it's, and Marvel is also putting the creator in front of the book. But when the creator speaks, it's like... Have you read... It? It's like some of the guys that they sure. get, it's like, have you read the medium that you're about to work in? Well, do, you under, do you understand... For a lot of these writers, I don't know... Peter David sits down and goes, I'm going to write a hell of a Hulk story. I feel like a lot of these writers, so when Dan Slott basically made Peter Parker Iron Man. Right. He left Spider-Man book and wrote which book? Iron Man. Iron Man. Um, these he was writing them at the same time. <laughs> these stories are interchangeable for some of these writers. You could take their script and slam in whichever character you wanted to, and it wouldn't matter. That's kind of sad if you think about it. But that's what it's become because this property is too important to protect and, and continue to promote. It, it has to spin its wheels. That's messed up. I would love to see Peter Parker get too old and then have someone... Like, the whole Miles Morales thing. Like, they played out Peter to his end in the Ultimate Universe and then they Miles Morales is here. And now, okay, we've still got an adult Peter. Like, I wouldn't have a problem if they essentially aged Peter out do the daughter thing, do the whatever, have Miles running around as the main Spider-Man. He doesn't even have to put on Peter's costume. Wear your own Spider-Man costume. You know what comic book did do that, though? That aged out the main hero and let the sun take over? Savage Dragon, that's who. Right. Best damn comic book on the shelves. Because Next to Invincible. And no one is telling him what to do. Not that I think you could. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think if you backed a money truck up to his house and said, yo, we want to make a Savage Dragon show, he'd probably say no. Well, they already tried to make a cartoon and it didn't work out. Yeah, because it wasn't hyper-violent. If that got made now, man, that would be the most messed up cartoon you will ever see. In the first issue, he kills a rat guy with chainsaws. <laughs> what is this book? No, seriously, like, he goes Sam to fight... Dragon's crazy. It's, he like, goes to fight. He goes to fight. He There's a rat guy that's running around murdering people, right? And Savage Dragon's like, rat guy, I got this. I beat up Bad Rock in my last issue. And so he... Walks up to him and he's like, all right, rat guy, me and my two giant Uzis that no human could ever carry are going to light you up. The rat guy jumps at him, pulls Savage Dragon's entire face off, and Savage Dragon goes, well, that didn't work. <laughs> so the next time he fights him, he's like, I got to stop by the hardware store first. Goes to the hardware store, comes back with two chainsaws, and starts beating the guy up with two chainsaws. But then the rat guy's like, yo, these chainsaws suck, and he breaks them. So Savage Dragon has to revert to the old-fashioned way of beating the guy half to death. When he got done fighting him, his arms were covered in rat blood. Turns out the rat was being possessed by a leech thing, and there was a, a leech supervillain that was controlling everybody, mind-controlling everybody. Oh, he was a hive. But, yeah, but then it turns out that the, the, the leech was a... A supervillain from the 1940s named the Wicked Worm who had figured out how to clone himself and he was trying to take over Chicago to get revenge against his uh, arch nemesis Mighty Man who was an old guy that was they found out who he was and they beat him to death and then right before he died he passed his powers on to a nurse who didn't know she had the Mighty Man powers until she tripped one day and slammed her wrist together and became Mighty Man. You know Mighty Man's a baby in uh, Savage Dragon. Really? She got pregnant and the powers passed on to the baby. So now if the baby ever does that, he turns into yeah, Mighty Man. Yeah, so there was an issue literally where he turns into Mighty Man, and his Mighty they're like, something's wrong with Mighty Man. He's flying around Chicago, breaking shit, going goo goo gaga. Somebody's got to stop him. <laughs> okay, that's kind of awesome. Dude, um, it's not hard to make a fun comic book. And I know you got to... I know you got to... Is, is the whole book, like, self-aware? Like, is it aware that it's ridiculous? 
It is, but I have some theories about Eric Larson that I will express after the show, not on the show. <laughs> okay. it, it's it's not so far up his own ass that it takes itself too seriously. And I'll okay. tell you why in a minute. But okay. there, and the moments when it does take itself seriously, they're never hand. I've never met Eric Larson. No, and okay. I don't. And I don't want to. I don't want to meet my heroes, sir. Oh, you do not. I don't want. I don't want to ever meet Eric Larson. You do not. I just want. I just want to enjoy his work from afar. Not unlike Mel Gibson. I never want to meet him. But I just don't watch Lethal Weapon 1. So, the book... And it does another thing that a lot of books don't do either. A lot nowadays either. Things that happen in the book have consequences that play out for stories to come. Like one time, Savage Dragon got possessed by one of those worms. Went on a rampage. <laughs> killed half of Chicago. <laughs> Years later... After he turns into an evil space emperor that tries to kill the world, basically, he goes on trial. Like, he comes back. The police are like, yo, dog, you don't think we're just going to let this rock, right? You kind of have to go to jail and go on trial. So you're like, well, the Savage Dragon's a hero, and he's going to go on the run, right? And he's he's not going to stand for this. He's going to, you know, be a, a rogue element because no one can really stop him. You know what the Savage Dragon does? He's like, you're right. Take me to jail. And he goes on trial. And you know what they bring up? The first thing they bring up when he goes on trial? Hey, do you remember that one time when you killed half of Chicago because you got possessed by a worm? And he goes, yeah, but I mean, it all turned out okay, right? I'm going to jail, aren't I? <laughs> and then they try and execute him. It doesn't go well. <laughs> but again, you can't be like you can't be held accountable if the worm... That wasn't even the part they were mad about. They were more mad about the part where he got his brain eaten and he couldn't regenerate because his brain was gone. So his son gave him a blood transfusion and when he regenerated from that, he regenerated back into his pre-naked-in-the-firefield self, which was basically dark side with a fin on his head. So he ran around. Every time he ran into a villain, he didn't just like beat him and put him away. He murdered the shit out of them. Like, he smeared this one guy so bad. <laughs> oh. So, so he was uh, he was the Snyderverse? Yes, he was. And it got even dumber when they stole his blood and started giving blood transfusions to all the villains. So there were a bunch of villains running around looking like Savage Dragon. Like, any villain that ever appeared in the book had a fin <laughs> and was running around. But the problem with getting a blood transfusion from the Savage Dragon is, is nine times out of ten you're going to explode within three weeks. Even if you have superpowers, you explode. Because he's an alien. So, one last topic before we get off the Savage Dragon. We're going to move to something else. i got a question. There's a lot of that in there, too. Don't let kids read that book. There's a lot of that. We're we're, we're, going to wrap this up here. Did either of you watch Malignant on HBO, Max? Yes, I watched The Many Saints of New York. Newark. See, but you did not watch Malignant. I figured one horror movie was enough. (laughs) So, all I want to say real briefly is everyone's talking about, like, it's schlocky. It has this 80s feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Whatever. It's fine. It's, it's not great. It is what it is. Then they say the last 30 minutes is just batshit crazy. I kind of knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, it's crazy. It's weird. Like, it is something you shouldn't see coming. But if you're not supposed to see it coming, and all the things that were happening in the movie were happening, and sometimes I watch Discovery Channel, I was like, <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, I think this is this. And it wasn't exactly what I thought it was. It gets flipped quite a bit, but I was I was close to what the gimmick was. Well, essentially, what the reveal is, I was I was pretty close. Okay. And I'm like, okay, like, am I gonna have to watch a sequel to this movie? Because I don't think I care enough. Like, it's okay, it's fine, and I I, I understand why this movie is is totally blowing some folks away. I get it. Because the thing that happens at the in that last third act, it it's it's crazy. Would you say it's because the bar is so low nowadays that anything can be call, called a surprise? Um, I mean, this is something that I don't believe I've seen exactly in movies before. Okay. I We haven't not seen it, Okay. but we haven't definitely seen exactly the same thing. Hmm. That does sound, I'm still not going to watch it, but that does sound pretty cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell you more when we're off okay. the air if you if you and then don't give a last crap, last one because I have like to, the mini new works of saints. Of, I have to, I have to crap on that movie for like ten seconds. Whoever greenlit that movie should have just made it into a TV show. You would have saved all of us a lot of trouble. 
spoiler alert, it is not the origin story of Tony Soprano. It is the story of Chris's dad and all the dumb stuff that he does leading up to them playing the Sopranos theme song at the end, which is the part that everybody likes. Like, oh boy, the Sopranos song. I know what that is. Woke up this morning and something, something, ducks in my pool. It's, it's, ugh. It is every mob stereotype in one movie that you could all, if you asked for. If you ever wanted to see Ray Liotta go, hey, Gabagoo, that movie's for you. If you want to hear say somebody, hey, Paisan, let me out of jail. I'm pretty sure all Ray Liotta is capable of is that toothy laugh from Goodfellas going, <laughs> No, he's doing he's doing serious Ray Liotta in this movie. But isn't serious Ray Liotta just, <laughs> No, he doesn't laugh at all. He's too busy pushing his wife down a flight of stairs because she left her douchebag hanging in the, the shower. This is an actual scene that happens in the movie. She's in the room praying or doing whatever Italian but wasn't Ray Liotta her douchebag? Yeah, good one. So she's in her room praying. Ray Liotta's like, hey, yo, Maron, what's the matter with you? You left like a thing hanging in there, Paisan. <laughs> so, so she's like, it's a part of life. Why are you getting so mad? And he was like, I didn't marry you to see life. I married you because you were hot. Hey, yo. And so she's like, you're such a weirdo. And he goes, I'm a weirdo. Haruken! And punches her a good one. She goes flying out of the room. And then she's at the top of the stairs. And he goes like, Mamma mia, you're too close. And backhands her. And she rolls down every step of manageable. Later, he's beaten to death. So, sidebar, that was the second time I watched a woman get pushed down the stairs in a, an abusive manner. The first time was when I was accidentally watching Law & Order Special Victim Stabler Unit. And <laughs> the lady... You know how stupid Law & Order's gotten now? So, the guy runs a nightclub. This black lady starts singing happy birthday to him. She sits on his lap. He apparently says, like, I bet I can stick my finger somewhere. And he does. And she's like, hey, yo, quit it. He goes. She goes to her dressing room. He comes in the dressing room. He's like, it's time for the special victims unit portion of this, this television show. So, she somehow gets away. And they're going up in the nightclub. There's like a spiral staircase. And he goes like, Hey, yo, I was busy in there. What you leaving for? Haruken punches her in her forehead. She rolls down a spiral staircase, slams onto the floor of the nightclub that is filled with witnesses. And the guy doesn't go to jail. Right, nobody saw nothing. Nobody saw nothing. Later, that guy pops up on... The reason why nothing happens to him is because a special victim stabler unit needed the guy to solve a case that they were working on. And Special Stabler's Victim's Beard Stabler Unit was like, listen, Mariska Hargitay, I promise you this guy will go to jail. Ayo, my own. So <laughs> he doesn't go to jail. The black lady spends the rest of her life in a wheelchair learning how to walk again. And then the guy goes on witness protection and nothing happens to him. But apparently there's an overarching conspiracy happening on Order There's a documentary on Netflix called The Staircase about a dude who they... Thought killed his wife, pushed her down a staircase. Apparently, not in the documentary. There are weird theories that an owl got in the house and killed his wife. the The guy says, "I didn't do it. I didn't do it." There's all kinds of weird stuff. The dude's strange. Like you get to a point where, like, I don't even think I like this guy. I don't know if he did it or not, but I don't like him. You then find out a story about an old friend of his years ago when I think he lived in France, also died falling down a staircase. Maybe the guy can turn into an owl and he just scares people. How doesn't. is it that one dude can have two women in his life both die falling down a staircase and he wants you to believe it ain't he didn't do it? Well, I know one thing is Tony Soprano once said, Mud on, we're out of time, hey yo. So if you want to hear more uh, things like this, you could always just play Mario Kart. <laughs> or, or you could um, call Gal Gadot. Hey guys, um, it's me, Gal Gadot. <laughs> so uh Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. So you can come to Comics and More 2059 John R. Road, Mass Lakes, Michigan, or you can listen to other episodes of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Mamma Mia. I don't have anything. Turn this off. Everybody gets your comics at Comics and More.